What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Lights Out. We do have a very, very interesting yet disturbing episode for you today about a man named Grant Amato. He came across this website called My Free Cams. Her name was Sylvia Venceslaova, but she went by the name Sylvie. And this was basically the beginning of the end for Grant. At first, he was using basically what little money he had left, but when he ran out of that money, he started using his parents' and brothers' credit cards. How much do you think he spent? Probably close to like $200,000. On January 28th, Grant was arrested at his hotel where he was staying and charged with three counts of premeditated first-degree murder. He would be incapable of committing these murders. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Lights Out. I'm your host, Josh, joined in the studio, as always, by my brother from another mother, Austin. Hey, what's up, man? I'm good, man. And my other brother from another mother, Daniel. What's up, guys? So we are we are here. We are been dealing with a bit of uh, technical issues before this episode, That so if I seem a little angry... It's because nothing gets my blood boiling more than dealing with audio technical issues here in the Lights Out studio. We have a long history of that from studio to studio, and it always seems to happen Mondays when we record. But with that being said, we do have a very, very interesting yet disturbing episode for you today about a man named Grant Amato. This is interesting because he fell into a very deep, and honestly disturbing relationship or obsession with a Bulgarian cam girl. And it drove him to the point where he truly believed, in my opinion, that this was a real relationship that was gonna actually go somewhere for him. And so he said, nothing is gonna get in the way of that. And when his parents decided that enough was enough, because as you'll find out, he was stealing lots and lots of money from his family in order to fund this camp girl, he decided, screw my family, I don't need them. And he basically executes all of them. And the other very troubling thing about this case is the fact that all of the circumstantial evidence, forensic evidence, points towards Grant Amato being the one to murder his entire family. But yet there's no DNA evidence to connect him to the crime. And I find that very puzzling because he murdered his family in cold blood. He staged it as a suicide homicide scene. And yet there was no DNA evidence linking him back to this horrific crime. So is there a possibility someone else was involved in this? That's a big question in this case. But we'll take you through the whole thing, start to finish. There's interrogation footage. There's trial footage in this episode that will definitely make you think twice about this particular case. So with that being said, we're just going to go in and dive right in because we have a lot of ground to cover. This case takes place in Orlando North, 
Seminole County, Florida. It's known for its small, quiet towns and beautiful open countryside. In the late 80s, Chad and Margaret Amato decided to settle down in Chuliota, which is about 25 miles east of Orlando, to raise a family. Chad surveyed the area by helicopter before picking a spot, and together they built a home at 2112 Sultan Circle. It was a spacious four-bedroom home on 2.9 acres of land. Margaret was a manager for a transcriptions company and worked from home, but she was often found at Miracle Lane Stables because she loved raising horses. She actually rescued a neglected ex-racehorse named Lady in 2009, and even after Lady passed away, Margaret could still be found at the stables, tending to the horses. If any of the kids in the neighborhood had an interest in horses, Margaret Amato was a neighbor to go to. As for Chad, he was a clinical pharmacist at CVS for over 30 years and had a passion for the Florida Gators football team. He'd often take his three sons, Jason, Cody, and Grant, to the games every chance that he could. Their oldest son, Jason, was Margaret's biological son, and Chad officially adopted Jason when he was three years old. Jason was older than both of his two younger brothers by about five to six years, and he moved out of the home in 2001 to attend college. He later moved to Winter Springs, Florida and found a long-term girlfriend and found a job as a mortgage loan underwriter. But he stayed in close contact with the family, especially his mother, Margaret. As for the two younger boys, Grant was the youngest, and he was born on May 20th, 1988, and Cody was only a year older. And as most brothers are, they were completely inseparable for decades. Through the years, they had the same interests and hobbies growing up. They both weightlifted at Timber Creek High School, played paintball in their free time, and they loved watching anime. Later in their life, they also got into building computers, collecting gaming consoles, and of course, playing video games. They also both had an interest in health, just like their father. So when Cody showed interest in being a nurse, Grant followed in his brother's footsteps. They both attended the University of Central Florida and studied to become nurses while living at home. After graduating in 2011 with a science degree in nursing, Cody went on to become a licensed nurse, anesthetist. Grant, on the other hand, dropped out of the more advanced program soon after. Other reports claim that he was kicked out for lack of attendance. He later found work at Advent Health Orlando as a nurse. Through their 20s, Grant and Cody were still best friends. Both of them still lived at home with their parents. Grant was 29 and he had never lived on his own before and he spent his free time playing tons of video games. He also loved going to the shooting range with friends and built up a large collection of firearms. From the outside, it seemed like Grant had a solid career and his whole life ahead of him. But by 2018, Grant had his first run-in with the law. In June of that year, he was suspended from his job under suspicion of stealing and improperly administering medication to patients, which is very, very serious. Hospital staff had found eight empty vials of propofol, which is an anesthetic, in two rooms that Grant had been working in, and these had not been ordered by any doctors. When they questioned him during his suspension, he claimed that he administered the drug to patients who are not being adequately relaxed. Grant had also expressed suicidal thoughts when he was confronted by hospital staff. After they did an investigation, officers denied that Grant was experiencing suicidal thoughts. They claimed he didn't meet the criteria to be a danger to himself or others around him. But there was enough evidence that he was stealing and improperly administering medication to patients. And as you can imagine, they immediately fired him and he was arrested for grand theft. His brother Cody paid $8,000 for his brother's lawyer. The charges were later dropped, but they made it hard for Grant to get another job as a nurse. 
Up until then, Grant had worked at that job for about five to six years, and after he was fired, he spiraled into isolation and depression. Now unemployed, he tried becoming a Twitch streamer by playing video games and live streaming from his parents' home, but I'm sure he quickly figured out how hard that is, and his parents footed most of the bill for his computer and streaming equipment. But, you know, as many people who tried to Twitch stream do, he soon gave up. But he lied to his family and said that he was trying to become a successful streamer still. Most of his time was spent sleeping all day and staying up all night gaming and, of course, browsing the internet. So during this bout of isolation and depression, he came across this website called My Free Cams, um, and this was basically the beginning of the end for Grant. He browsed to find different cam models until he came across a Bulgarian model in July of 2018. Her name was Sylvia Vencislaova, but she went by the name Sylvie, which is how we'll be referencing her from here on out. And here's one of the early kind of cringy video messages he sent her when they first started talking. All right, Sylvia, look at me. I am, I'm outside going to check the mail. And I'm asking you if you can please, pretty please, send me one of your videos. I just, I, I love it so much when you just send them to me. Yeah, I, I don't like buying your stuff. It makes me feel weird. Could you please send me one, though? So, I mean, if we're going to unpack some things from that video, one, he's saying he doesn't like, it makes him feel weird that he's buying videos. Really, in reality, it's he doesn't have the money for it. He's unemployed now, living on his parents' dime. Uh, you can also see how desperate and weird he is in trying to get those videos. And so as their relationship continued, at some point he starts telling Sylvie that he had become a successful streamer. He drove a BMW. He owned his own house. In reality, he was unemployed at 29, still lived with his parents, and spent all of his time on his computer. But he felt like he needed to convince Sylvie to continue their relationship so she would keep talking to him because obviously the incentive for Sylvie here is the money. He soon became obsessed with her and it ended up paying for virtual tokens so he could chat with her in real time. This is how the currency operates within this website. You use real money to buy the tokens. You use the tokens to then buy the services. Some nights he would spend up to four hours chatting with her and requesting her to perform certain sexual acts. Some of these nights, he would spend up to $2,500 each night on digital tokens. And on top of the tokens, he would also buy her lingerie and sex toys for her to use. At first, he was using basically what little money he had left, but when he ran out of that money, he started using his parents' and brothers' credit cards, claiming he needed the money to get his Twitch career started. In the span of about two to three months, it's estimated that Grant had spent $60,000 from his brother's credit card, sold some of his brother's firearms for cash, took a line of credit out on his parents' mortgage, and spent somewhere between $150,000 and $200,000 of his parents' money. That's an insane amount of money. That is an incredible amount of money. So he was basically, I mean, he would having to chat with her for hours on end every single night to rack up that bill. And I wonder if he 
really thought he was in a relationship with her or he was just doing this because she probably realized, oh, I can milk this guy for everything that he has. So I'm going to keep, oh, you want me to do this? You want me to do that? Well, I'm just going to keep upping the prices right. for you. And he, his obsession just grew stronger and stronger the more that he, he talked with her. And so ultimately she just got as much money as she wanted yeah. pretty much out of this deal. And that's, that's probably the other thing you can unpack from that clip is that he's saying, oh, I don't want to pay for it. It makes me feel weird. So maybe the added layer to that video is that if we are in a relationship, why am I paying for this? Yeah. So it's almost sounds like he might have convinced himself that they are in a relationship, even though he's still spending the money. Because I'm like, if it's just about the sexual stuff, wouldn't it make more sense to just go to another girl? You know what I mean? And right. just start over again with somebody else or spread that money out at least. But to put it all on her only makes me believe that he truly thought that this was like his girlfriend. Yeah. And that they, and, and I mean, if he's spending four hours chatting with her, I assume it's more than just sexual talk for four hours, There's, right? Yeah. There has to be some personal fixation here in their, within whatever weird relationship that they do have that he's hyper fixated on her. But I mean, on top of all that other money, it was also later discovered that he'd also been stealing from his aunt, his uncle, his grandmother, his cousins, his friends, basically any chance he could get at stealing credit card, debit card information, getting account numbers, any way he was, he would just do it. He would go on people's computers when they weren't looking. That's how he got wow. his aunt's information. So it ended up aunt Donna Amato called Chad, which is Grant's father and told him what his son had been up to. She wanted to press charges at first against Grant, but Chad begged her not to. When she was on the phone with him, he said something along the lines of, yeah, I'm going to have to work a few more years than I thought I'd have to, but it's okay. I'll do it for Grant. I don't want him to go to jail. Wow. Chad ended up having to remortgage his house to cover Grant's debt. And this is Chad's in the area of his life where he's getting ready to retire. And now he's realizing that this is setting him back several more years and he most likely won't be able to retire for several more. And I think that speaks to just how much Grant's parents care about him. You know what I mean? So much so that they're willing to put all this extra financial stress on themselves in order to just make sure that their son doesn't get in any legal trouble with this. Right. But yet at the same token, it's enabling his addiction exactly versus trying to deal with that as opposed to just dealing with the financial troubles that came along with this yeah it's a double edged sword cuz it's do we charge him with theft or do we try to figure this out as a family and not not subject him to that meanwhile Cody Grant and another friend took a short trip to Japan Cody paid for all of Grant's expenses which was about $10,000 at some point during that trip Cody caught Grant contacting Sylvie on his tablet while using public Wi-Fi. When they got home, his family discovered he had been stealing from them again, and frustrated, Grant fled to his Aunt Donna's house. And when the rest of the Amatos discovered that he was there, they called a family meeting on December 22, 2018. They all met up at Aunt Donna's house in Apopka, Florida, about 42 miles west of their home. Jason also joined that meeting. Donna described Grant as looking gaunt and exhausted. 
Instead of calling the police on Grant, the family thought the best way to solve the problem was to send him to a rehabilitation facility called Cornerstone for porn addiction. This cost Cody another $15,000, and he also paid off Grant's debts to his aunt Donna and extended family members. So his family's just continuing to, to get him out of these, these pickles he got himself into. When Grant checked into rehab, he was supposed to be at the facility for 60 days. While Grant was out of the house and in treatment, Chad logged into Grant's home computer and contacted Sylvie himself. He told her that his son had lied to her, that he wasn't a successful streamer, he was actually unemployed living with his parents, and he stole from his family in order to pay her. After only 12 days of treatment, Grant was allowed to return home on January 4, 2019, so 12 days out of the 60. 60? But his parents at that point gave him a zero-tolerance ultimatum. On January 5th, Chad took Grant to the California Pizza Kitchen in Waterford Lakes. He gave Grant the options of joining the military, living on his own, or living at home with them. Of course, Grant chose to live at home with them, but he would only be allowed to live there under certain conditions. His father, Chad, wrote a very detailed contract that Grant had to agree to. This was a very detailed contract and it was written in Chad's handwriting but here were to sum it up here are some of the things that were mentioned Grant could no longer use the internet after midnight or stay up all night on the computer he would have his internet use monitored he would get a new phone that could not access the internet he had to pay his own phone bill he had to go to therapy he had to pay his debts back to his family members he had to apologize to all his family members and he had to get a day job but most importantly, above all, he had to stop all contact with Sylvie. That was basically the number one rule added on to all of those other ones. Grant later admitted that he thought this was unfair because, quote, he felt that Sylvie was his girlfriend and they had a relationship. So clearly he did think that. He soon found out that Chad had told Sylvie the truth about him because you recall he was at the rehab center when chad contacted sylvie and now sylvie was no longer interested in communicating with grant she had already moved on to a plethora of other clients grant was so desperate for her attention that he quickly broke the ultimatum contract with his parents after only three weeks of living with them because he had convinced his mom to let him use her phone he then tried to contact sylvie again through twitter after chad discovered this obviously things didn't go well he ordered Grant to pack up his things and move out of the house on January 24th. It's understood that there was a, a big argument that day, but it's unclear if there was any physical altercations between them. Grant later claimed that Chad might have grabbed him by the shirt and sit him down on the couch or picked him up from the couch. But either way, he wanted Grant out of the house since that was their deal for Grant breaking the contract. I mean, you literally signed a contract, dude. Well, yeah, you know what, what the consequences are if you break that. I think I think because they had kind of enabled his behavior up to that point. He thought he could just he thought he could get, out of it. get away with it again. Yeah. yeah, that's probably true. So on the morning of January 25th, 2019, Cody failed to come in for work at Orlando Regional Medical Center. And it wasn't like him to miss work. One coworker said that in the past five years, Cody had never missed a day of work. Cody also missed several texts from his coworker and several phone calls from his girlfriend Sloan Young. Obviously, his girlfriend's very concerned, so she called the police and requested a wellness check be done at the Amato's family's home on Sultan Circle. 
A Seminole County deputy arrived at the property at 9.17 a.m. He knocked on the door, banged on the windows, and used the air horn on his vehicle to try to get somebody's you know, attention from inside. He also got Cody, Chad, and Margaret's cell phone numbers and called them, but there was no answer at all. So obviously when they're not picking up, the officer is suspecting that something may be wrong. And after getting approval from his supervisor, this officer broke into the home via the side entrance. And he quickly, upon getting inside, found that the three Amato family members were all dead. 59-year-old Chad was lying on his back on the kitchen floor. A gun holster was on his hip. 31-year-old Cody was found dead, curled up in the doorway where the garage connected to the home. A pistol and bullet shells were found near his body, and 61-year-old Margaret was found slumped over her desk in the home office. So I actually have the body cam footage of this officer doing the wellness check, and I think it's worth watching because it just kind of gives you some better perspective on what this was like. Knocked on every window, every door, hit the air horn. <clears throat> Three five thirteen. We're gonna be clearing the residence. Give us traffic, please. Sheriff's office. There's a shed right here. You want to check the shed? Yeah. Let me get these vehicles on the screen. Three five thirteen. Copy three tags for the screen. Two two tags for the screen. What's that? Yankee four four Zulu Sierra Victor Golf Uniform Lima Foxtrot sixteen. Just in case somebody takes off on us or something, you know. I'm sorry. The last is Golf Uniform Lima Foxtrot. Foxtrot sixteen. I don't know. Did Debbie set up a crime scene? Yeah, she's doing the crime. Well, she's doing the log. Uh oh, but it's very good. I was like, boy, hey, LC wants us to check the attic. Okay, got Debbie running tags on all these people to see if there's any vehicles outstanding because I guess the dad is still outstanding, correct? Yeah, how much of a fucking mess is this when I go walk in here? Don't don't go that way. Yeah, kitchen show this way. We can go in through the uh back door here, and we can back door bathroom. No one else is in there from us, right? Right, okay, all right, give us five minutes. I was just trying to get information to see because I didn't want FD coming in if we have a legit homicide. If it's a murder suicide, then yeah, I, I just so that's wanted why. to be one hundred percent sure. No, no, especially I'm the mom, that, but that's what if it was leaning towards. Yeah. I didn't want them coming in. Yeah, that's why I needed a, a call. I knew you I'm guys sorry. were busy. No, no, yeah, we were up for our balls, and I, I just told FD just uh, whoever's going to pronounce that's it. And well, that's, I mean, that's is, if it's in. obvious signs, we don't need to pronounce. Yeah, Five, two of them. Do we have a phone number for the day? It was like. Probably, but I didn't want to be, it wasn't worth a chance. So, All right. what they're confused about there is they're not sure if they're, what they're looking at is uh, just three murders or potentially a murder suicide case. And that's why there's some confusion there. Which I feel like, regardless, you should still treat it the same. Yeah. Right. You know what I mean, like the fact that they're like contemplating on how they're going to approach this is, is kind of interesting to me because either way, there's a murder that happened here and obviously if they're all deceased i get that as far as pronouncing pronouncing them dead or not but yeah is is a little interesting to see just uh 
the officer's reaction to this and the detectives and what they said too. They were like, is it shitty in there? I'm like, yeah, they're very nonchalant yeah. about it. Maybe because I mean, I guess they do this ex- all the time, yeah. especially if you're a homicide detective, but, but they also noticed they were looking at the cars and I think they were saying that one of the cars was missing. So mm. that was why they were, you know, piecing these to, if you're imagining yourself in their shoes, if you're piecing this together, okay, there's a car missing. We're not sure if it's a murder suicide. And then obviously they're going to find out, you know, who's missing. Right. Detective Eva Marie Multari and her partner, Daniel Anderson, were then called to the scene. From their investigation, it was clear that Margaret had been working on the computer drinking a glass of wine when she was shot in the back of the head. Chad had most likely just come home from work because he had his lunch bag nearby. Annie was in the kitchen when he was shot twice in the head. As for Cody, he was shot sometime later while he was coming in from the garage. A pistol that belonged to Cody and spent bullet casings were found near his body. As the investigation continued, they noticed something felt off about the crime scene. At first glance, it looked like a murder-suicide that Cody might have committed, but investigators sensed that there was something more going on here. There was also no sign of a robbery or forced entry, and Cody's girlfriend Sloan also told police that Cody told her there had been an intense argument between Grant and his father the day before. Over the next few hours, investigators became confident that this was not a random act of violence or even a murder-suicide, even though it looked like one at first. There was only one occupant missing from the home, and guess who that was? Grant Amato. And he was their most obvious suspect. Jason was also questioned by the police on January 25th, but he had a strong alibi. He had been at work until 6pm on the day of the murders. And then he went out to dinner with his girlfriend Christina and her two daughters. He spent the evening with them and then got up the next morning to take Christina's daughters to school. Christina corroborated his story. They also searched Jason, his home, and his car, but they found nothing that tied him to the murders. So the only logical suspect left was, of course, Grant. The next day, police located the Yamato family's 1996 Honda Accord outside the Doubletree Hilton Hotel in Orange County. And that's where they found Grant, inside one of the rooms. Here's a little bit more body cam footage of them taking Grant into custody. If you're being cooperative, sir, we appreciate that. So, um, some similar county detectives want to talk to you, so we're going to get that handcuffs off of him. It's just a normal routine when we encounter someone that we want to make sure you're safe. Now we know you don't have any weapons, we'll, we'll get those restraints off of you. We're confident you've been cooperative, everything's good, so we appreciate that very much. It goes a long way. So as you heard, he was cooperating, so police even removed his handcuffs before taking him in. Which is really interesting to me because the they have the whole footage um, from this event, and beforehand, they literally get everybody out of their rooms. Like, they're going in to arrest a potential murder suspect, and they prepared accordingly. I mean, they're, they're all completely armed, ready to go for a shootout if that happens. Um, but ultimately, I think they're also kind of playing a game with Grant here. And they don't want to make him necessarily feel, feel like, like a suspect a suspect at yeah. this point and the other strange thing so he had no weapons on him or any evidence of blood that they could see he's wearing scrubs yeah as far as i know he's still unemployed at this point which makes it strange why is he wearing scrubs set up yeah is it is he just making it look like he's on a work trip or something right and he does say in the interrogation later that he's oh he had an interview this morning for a job Mm. which i don't believe is true but regardless he volunteered to come 
into the Seminole County Sheriff's Office for questioning. And according to police, Grant silently stared out the window the entire drive to the Sheriff's Office. Once there, detectives began the interrogation, which lasted several hours. And after going through his background info and the standard stuff, he was not arrested, but they started with asking him about his employment. So we're going to show you uh, several clips from the interrogation from here on out. What, what, is there any special uh, nursing degree, what you do? or? Uh, I mean, I, I have, like, other certifications. Uh-huh. Um, but, uh, I mean, with that, like, I primarily worked in the hospital for, I think, five years, five or six years. Well, I, ha- I was accused of grand theft for the third degree back in June of 2018. There was no evidence ever, ever presented. All the charges were dropped. Uh-huh. I had been applying for jobs for the last couple weeks. I'd gotten a, like three or four callbacks. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I went on a job interview yesterday for a home infusion nurse job. What time did you get uh, It was scheduled for 10. I got there at around 9 okay. in the morning. Uh, and then I think we actually had the interview at about 9.45. How'd that go? I mean, it was all good. Uh, they didn't have anything. They said that they'd probably be getting back to me by Tuesday or Thursday uh-huh. this coming week. Getting back to work? Yeah. Yeah, because, I mean... It's like a crappy world when, you know, you don't have any money, you can't sure. do anything, so. Finance, like how, how the, the nursing, what you did, I'm sorry, I don't know that much, or maybe I'm not nursing, the nursing, how does, how does it pay? How does it pay? Um, I mean, if you work your, your standard three to three, 12 hours a week, you get anywhere between, I'd say, forty five and $55,000 a year. So, okay. I mean, it's not bad. I think my best year, I, I made like 55000 Because I rarely worked overtime. Right. You know, when I was just, because I had the whole plan of going to uh, to graduate school, mm-hmm. so I was just kind of using it as a stepping stone right. to that point. To pay the bills, right? You, you gotta, gotcha. Um, and that, and that's and what you were going for. What does that pay? Nurse anesthesia pays. I mean, pays like about 150 mm-hmm. of the 175. At the time that he's being interviewed right now, his family is already dead. When he's speaking about what you know, going to that interview and everything, his whole family is already dead inside his home, and so. When he's talking right now, he doesn't necessarily know that his, you know, he does know his family's dead, but right. he's acting completely fine, completely normal, just kind of chatting up with the detectives. You know, they're just kind of warming him up with these questions and also clearly listening to his answers and, you know, starting to kind of put together that timeline. And, you know, they start diving a little bit deeper into his background. So let's see what he has to say next. Um, girlfriends. Girlfriends. I had like my high school sweetheart uh, girlfriend um, for about five years, and then ever since then, no like a typical girlfriend, no flings or anything like that. Here and there, dates occasionally, but mm-hmm. I mean not really. I kind of focused on like just getting through the life, the life goals that you know I wanted to achieve. What do you like to do? What do I like to do? I like to watch anime. What is it? I'm sorry. Oh, oh, sorry. I don't know what it is. I mean, I thought you said MMA. <laughs> okay, and then then when you start explaining to it, I mean, I guess like now. it's it's animated. Um, it's like cartoons, I guess you could say, but it's Japanese cartoons. It is in Japanese, and then they uh, subtitle it. Yeah. You speak Japanese? I was gonna say, do you understand? I don't. <laughs> I understand a few words. We actually just went to uh, me and my brother and one of my friends, or I guess friends from high school. We went to Japan. How long have you been out of work? I've been out of work for 
six months since June. How did you pay a lot of money for to be out of work? My brother. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think the only other game that we really played was Fortnite, but then that was starting to get to, like... It's a big deal right now. Yeah. yeah. The young kids are all over and, and actually, yeah, during the time that I was, um, that I wasn't working as a nurse, I tried to do the whole Twitch streaming thing. What is that? Um, I'm, I'm sorry. No, 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 no. no. God, these detectives are way out of order. It's oblivious. You got your mic, and then you have your face cam, and then basically people are just watching you play whatever game you're going to say that you're playing. Okay. On virtual reality, it was primarily just Beat Saber. So it's like a, a rhythm-based game, like Guitar Hero. Apart from that, uh, we really didn't get into too many other games yet because we were kind of just focused on Beat Saber. Mm -hmm. But I think we had downloaded a few other where it's just like you're going through like a world and you can interact with the world or something like that. And uh, I know this is a tactic by the interrogators, but it's just, I can't. I'm not a good enough actor to be able to look someone in their eye who I suspect of murdering their entire family and just, well, what's, like shoot what's the shit anime? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I don't know how people do that. That They're both acting here. You know, both the, not only the interrogators, but also Grant in this case is also acting because he has to play it off like he doesn't know what's happened, right? So a lot of acting. Which is, which is kind of weird that he's just going along with it because if you think if you were somebody who really didn't know why you were just... What's going on? Yeah. Police just busted into your hotel room. Right. With guns blazing, brought you into the police station. I'd be like, what am I doing here? Yeah. What's going on? Yeah. Seriously. This is obviously something serious if you're bringing me in here. So why are we talking about what <laughs> anime is? Yeah, I don't exactly. Give a shit. It's like, I've got shit to do. Yeah. Like, and, and that's a great point. And spoiler alert, it will take about three hours for them to bring up why grant is actually being brought in yeah we condense this a lot yeah because there is just there's just so much i mean they really take their time with grant and i think that was probably the for strategy. the best but i think yeah. they also could tell they're dealing with an they're dealing with an intelligent individual so it's going to take a lot more to sort of get him to that spot where they can maybe elicit a confession from him yeah because that's ultimately their their end goal here is to try to get him to confess to to the murders, but they're trying to do it in a way, you know, that's kind of by the by the book when it comes to being, you know, interrogation and and detective work. And so, like, let's get him comfortable with us. Let's you know really really try to make him feel like we're just trying to get to know him. Right. And, you know, shoot the shit for a little while before we get into the more serious serious topics. But then, of course, they want to know more about his relationship with his brother because i think some of those questions did elicit some details that do pertain to the crimes themselves i mean they're trying to figure out like what what's the motive here too they're trying to dig into that a little bit more and you know he just found out that he went on a trip to japan with his brother and that his brother paid for his trip and you know now they obviously want to know more because yeah. cody's dead yep and on, they know he's unemployed now he was talking about not having money right. so Maybe money's a motive here. It's kind of painting a whole picture. And I mean, this is all useful when it comes to trial as well. Right, yeah. Close your brother, Cody? Let's talk about Cody. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, me and Cody. Who's older? You or him? He is. I'm the youngest one. I'm 29. He's 31. Uh -huh. My oldest brother, Jason, is 35 to 36 now. Uh-huh. How about Cody? Cody. You know, we decided to go to nursing school together. We decided to go to the, the nurse anesthesia school together. But a lot of people thought that it was weird because we did everything together and because we were so close, mm -hmm. but 
Yeah, I mean... Yeah, a lot of people understand the bond of brother, though. Yeah. The true bond if you're close. To and, I mean, during, like, this whole time, I mean, kind of like with just the few examples I've given you, I mean, he would, he'd take care of everything. Always there for you. Yeah. Always there to support you. Always there. Yeah, did everything together, connected at the hip. Any, um, ever any issues, really, with him? No, like I was saying, during this last six months, it, it had been a very trying time. He would, like, have his moments where he would get extremely upset. Like, uh... Like, you know, he never get violent, I guess you could say. But, like, at one point, he got so upset that he, like, pushed the cabinet and then it, like, dented into the wall. Yeah, I mean, at least with me, he's always been, like, where he's he's there for me. Like, whatever it takes, regardless of what's happening, I'm going to take care of it for you. You can see him there subtly indicating that oh maybe cody does have this tendency for violence that Mm -hmm. not towards me but maybe towards somebody else he's kind of already planting the seeds of this murder suicide narrative already and i i'm actually now second guessing maybe he's not wearing scrubs possibly he's wearing some sort of japanese attire Uh, oh really yeah that's what i'm thinking now um i'm not sure maybe i can revisit that that police his that pants definitely can. look like scrubs pants. Do they? You can okay. see like the little white bands, you know, that you tie in the front. Okay. But I wouldn't put it past him if he's if he's super into anime and they just went to Japan. Maybe he's wearing <laughs> some of that. I'm not sure. Also, I've sat with this case for quite a bit, but now I'm thinking, I see Grant more. He's just a parasite. Because I was like, oh, that's cute. He's so close with his brother. But now I'm thinking, no, he's just a leech. He's just this parasite that has... He has no personality of his own. He has just clung to his older brother. He's following in his footsteps in everything that he does because he he has nothing. So I he has Could no be money. jealousy there too. He's, yeah. So um, he's he's been just a parasite on his brother for for God knows how long. But let's listen to him talk a little bit about his family, specifically his mom, and being the f- baby of the family. She's always been the, uh, kind of like Cody, she's always been the one that focused on me. And, um, Wait, were you the baby? You just yeah. were truly the family baby? For my mom. For my cheeks. Yeah. Okay. For my mom. Um, mom saver? Yeah. You know, countless times my dad would like come up to me and he'd make like me feel like he'd try and use things and word things to make me feel guilty to that. I would, you know, do everything that I can, like get a job. Almost like a motivation. Right. Uh, and he'd, he'd tell me time and time again that, you know, you're her favorite. I mean, she would do anything for you. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, it's like, yeah, I don't need to hear that. I mean, that's not what would motivate me. Sure. Um, but, no, with Mom, I think we yelled at each other a grand total of, like, three or four times my whole life. Never any issues. I mean, she, it was always like, if there was somebody that I could talk to and like Cody wasn't available, I'd always talk to my mom. I'd always let her know what's going on. Um, yeah, I mean, she would help me out through, through anything. Okay. Tell me about dad. Dad. Uh, what's he do? Dad's a pharmacist. Okay. Uh, he works for CVS. He's been a pharmacist for, I think, 35 years or so. My dad was a very, like, angry, violent type person. Overbearing. Mm-hmm overbearing, you know, like baseball practice, it'd be like four or five hours, and he's hurling the ball as fast as an adult can, and we're like seventh to eighth grade trying to catch this stuff. Belittle you? 
he would belittle me when I was younger. The problem, I guess, was was that I was I was always like the the jokester, the one that could calm everybody down, make everybody smile. If it was a heated situation, I could say a joke or something, and that'd make everybody kind of move past it. Doubt it. And I was just yeah. at the point where it's like, you know, I'm hearing, you know, all this stuff from dad. I'm seeing how much Cody's helping me. You know, mom's stressed out with her job. And it's like, I'm not doing anything. What's the last time your dad put his hands on you? Uh, the last time my dad put his hands on me would be, I'd say, kind of the middle of December of 2018. What happened? It's because, um, you know, with all the money that had been getting spent and, um, I guess just the mix of everything that I've been saying just kind of boiling up in him, um, and the fact that I was, to him, it seemed like I wasn't concerned about it. So nonchalant, too. I know. When it's he's terrifying. saying this. He's like, yeah. It, and all the money. I'm like, the money you're stealing from right. your family? He's, he uses his words very carefully. He does. Because he says, the money I was spending, not the money I was stealing. And, again, he's planting these seeds for this narrative of violence in the home. Because he said, oh, my dad, he's angry and and also prone to violence and stuff. So he's carefully planting these seeds of this narrative of the murder suicide. Uh, Premeditation, you think on his part? Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. He's, I think he's had this, he's all thought through now. all of this as well as one can. Yeah. So let's hear a little bit more from him about his uh, trip to the porn addiction clinic and this heated conversation he had with his dad. So, and then I thought that was, you know, I wasn't acting like myself with the jovialness and, you know, sure. all that kind of stuff. Um, my father chose to admit me to like a, like an, a depression or an addiction clinic or something like that in Fort Lauderdale called Cornerstone. When was that? That was December 22nd. Okay. Until I think, uh, January 4th. Did you agree to go? I, I didn't, but they said that. You know, this was your only... Who said? My dad. Okay. And that was in Fort Lauderdale? Yeah. Yeah. Did your mom agree with it? My mom and my brother both agreed, but it was my dad who was like the iron fist, like, this is what's going to happen. Like, you know, he can't... Why did he say he needed to go? What was his reasoning? Because uh, with the way that I was acting, he just... He didn't see that I was doing anything for, like, the positive. Um... You know, and a lot of it just came back to money uh, with him. Uh, he would, he would like, allow me to, to spend money that he had, uh, like, with his credit card or something like that. But it's like then whenever I did, it was, like, a huge problem. Okay, so you had one of his credit cards. Yeah. And what were you buying with it? Uh, well, what I was doing is um, over the past, four months or something like that. I've been, I've been talking to this woman online. Who's she? Uh, she's, it's embarrassing as it is. She's a, she's a, cam, she's a cam model. A what? A cam model. Nope. Doesn't know anime. But so maybe like, he's just playing dumb. Yeah, he knows. Come on, dude. It's a good point. Like that type of situation. So a lot of the money went to her. Okay. Where's she at? She lives in Bulgaria. Bulgaria. Where's that? Over in Europe. It's like okay. outside of Germany. Okay. Like that. You ever been there? No. Okay. 
Um, so it wasn't, it wasn't that serious. Okay. So what would you give her money for? Um, just for like the time online with her. Okay. Yeah. So it was just downplaying everything. Mm-hmm. And what's the card? Six hundred dollars for like a like five thousand or something tokens or something like that. So. And then it was four hours a night. He always says and um, something like that when he's trying so to I mean, play. I mean, it. that's basically just where all the, like the cost went to. Was you pay real money for the tokens, then you use the company's digital currency for, okay. for that. So you do this. And when did you meet her? I met her. Um, meet? How about chat? At the, yeah. Never met. Beginning of July. Yeah, at the very beginning of July. Okay, and and still talking to her. So, yeah, I mean, more just on, uh, like, Twitter, okay. like, just through direct messaging. Um, again, cell phone service doesn't work, so it's like I can't use the, the padding like How that. How much do you think you spent on this? It seems kind of pricey. Yeah, probably close to, like, $200,000. He doesn't even downplay that. $200,000? Yeah. <laughs> and where'd the money come from? Money came from me... Uh, my brother me. and then my dad. <laughs> Two dollars came from me. Yeah, exactly. They didn't know that it was going to uh, a cam, a cam model. I, I was saying it? that it was going towards my Twitch streaming, uh, like, like, put, yeah, like advertising, like putting my name out there and that that type of thing. So I guess to like bring it all back with why I was brought to Cornerstone, uh, it was a mix of all of those things. It's like he felt like. You know, I, um, he felt like... You need to be grounded. Yeah, yeah. And so then I was there, you know, I spoke to, like, the therapist and psychiatrist and all that stuff. I didn't need any medications for anything. They had analyzed it as, this is an isolated event. You've been out of work. You have the PTSD from the whole getting arrested thing. And, I mean, the last thing on my record was, I think, a speeding ticket back when I was at UCF. They had signed me up, I think, to be there for 60 days, but then I was only there until January 4th. So Thank you for that. My brother, Cody. What was the cost of that, you know? 15000 So their final diagnosis of you was what? That I was fine. That didn't need to be there. Yeah. That I was, I was fine. I told them all about, like, my living situation and how it had been stressful, and then it got better, and then now it's just stressful again. But they had all just said that it was just this isolated just event. Generational PTSD from... Right. When I got back, that's where my dad started to get really kind of overbearing. And I mean, rightfully so. I know what I did. But it's like with him, it was every single day, hours a day, excuse me, hours a day. He'd come home from work and then he would just talk to me just about the same exact thing over and over and over and over and over again. When was the last time that you and your dad did have, you know, a heated conversation? Uh, It would be Thursday? Thursday. Uh, Because... One of his rules was Day that I wasn't allowed to talk to the woman anymore that I had been talking to. Um, but I guess you could say behind the scenes, my mom would let me talk to her through her cell phone using Twitter. She'd so let yeah, you? Was on Thursday, he had apparently found out that I was speaking to her again. You know, it wasn't really my intention to continue talking to this woman, but it just kind of happened. Um and then because there was, like, that emotional connection, I guess you could say, uh, between her and me, like, I, I like, you know, it felt like, like, like a relationship. You know, I didn't want to just stop cold turkey on it. Grant is a spoiled fucking brat, man. Yeah, he's like, my dad sat down and talked with me every day I got back from the clinic. It's like, dude, your dad went relatively very easy on you. Granted, 
with everything that's happened, I I wouldn't see the light of day if I did something like this. With no sense of remorse for spending $200,000 on a cam girl yeah. either at all. Nope. He, he seems like it's no big deal. There's just endless money. Doesn't matter. And even his own brother is footing the bill for his porn addiction rehab. And yet he could care less. He's yeah. like, ah, that's what they do. I'm the baby of the family. So yeah, I can just, get away with it. It's just yeah. part of it very uh unreal yeah he's super affluent you can tell and i don't know i now i'm thinking about the porn addiction clinic because maybe it's you know maybe the reason he was let go is because he genuinely doesn't have a porn addiction it's clearly something else he has an obsession with this woman that is that's the addiction so maybe i don't know maybe they just missed the mark or maybe he's super manipulative and he knows how to just play the game and play the system so he can leave early He's like a borderline stalker at this point. Yeah, yeah, seriously. He, he's got, she's cut off communication with him through the website, and yet he's trying to go every other avenue he can through find Twitter. through Twitter and mm -hmm. DM her, and you know, he's trying to, desperately trying to get her attention. Thankfully, she's in Bulgaria. Right, because he probably would have went and tried to find her absolutely. if he could. Yeah, which is terrifying to think about. So basically, at this point, we're a little over an hour marker in the interrogation, and what Grant is explaining is that after the heated conversation, he is what, this is what he's saying. He packed up his things, he left the house, and he said he went to meet his brother Cody somewhere on the side of the road and have like one last discussion with him. So here's where Grant will really lean in to the narrative that he's built uh, coming up. And he's really going to dive into this murder-suicide and try and pin his brother for it conversation was basically that he was brought up to speed, you know, and that he would take care of it. He was brought up to speed by what? He was brought up to speed on, like, why I'm, why I'm out here. Who brought him up to speed? My mom. Oh, she talked to him? Yeah. He told you that mom had, had talked to him? Right. Do you think that's why Cody left work? I mean, in my mind, I was just thinking, oh, he had been blood off work early, like, three, three times already this week. So, oh, I was just like... 10, 15 minutes you talked to Cody. Right. You have a conversation, and he leaves to go home? Right. And you leave to go where? And then I stay in that general area just so that if anything happens, somebody, like, knows where I am. Yeah, I mean, I would stay in that general area, and then I decided to go. Public? Public. About what? We'll get it. Like, between, like, midnight and one, I think. Yeah. And you go to public midnight one, and how long do you stay there? I stay there until, like... So I'm going to give everybody a little context of what's going on here with the investigation, because obviously they're still investigating what the hell was going on at the house at the time that they're also speaking to Grant because they're speaking to him for quite a long time. The investigation later discovered that Grant lied during their interrogation when he said he met up with Cody somewhere on the side of the road so they could chat. He had left work early, but it wasn't for that reason. On the day of the murders, Investigators discovered that Grant used his deceased father's cell phone to send Cody a text message urgently telling him to come home, and that's actually why Cody left work early. Grant then waited at home to kill his brother when he entered the home through the garage door. He then noticed Cody's girlfriend, Sloan, had been messaging him and calling him constantly on Cody's phone, so he used his brother's phone to text her saying, all okay. So basically, after Cody had already passed, 
there were text messages coming from his phone. So now that he was blaming Cody for the murder-suicide, or as he puts it, he says, taking care of it in the interrogation, they'd soon discover that he's lying even more during this interview. Crime scene analysts would also find a note in Grant's car that at first glance looked like Cody writing to Grant, like it was a letter he handed off to him, possibly when they had that supposed meeting. It said things like, quote, Grant, I'll take care of all your problems. I just need you back. I can't live without you, brother. I said I'd take care of all your problems at the house, and I have. No one will bother you again regarding this. Just please come home. The weird thing is, is that Grant later admitted to detectives that he was the one that wrote the note, and it was supposedly a recollection of the last conversation he had with his brother, but he couldn't explain why he wrote the note in a first-person perspective from Cody's point of view. Would that, that makes be, sense. Yeah. yeah, like why would you be taking a note through someone else's perspective? Doesn't really add up. So, but it's not clear exactly what he was going to use that for. It's most likely he was going to use it as evidence against Cody, kind of admitting that it, he took care of it, so to speak. On top of this, forensics later found clues that suggested the crime scene had been staged. So here's here's the big things that they found the pistol that was found at the crime scene didn't even match the bullets that were used in the murders and the spent shell casings that were placed around the scene matched the weapon at the scene which was cody's firearm but they didn't match the bullets that had been fired to kill the amados so clearly grant doesn't know shit about forensics here another piece of evidence was an empty gun holster was found on chad's hip kind of towards the front suggesting he might have been carrying the pistol but it had been put on backwards for a right-handed shooter it was a cross draw holster so it actually should have been towards his left hip because chad was later confirmed uh by i think believe jason that he was a right-handed shooter which wouldn't make no sense for why chad would do that right yeah. chad would never put it on wrong backwards yeah, yeah it doesn't make sense you gotta reach across your body to pull it out exactly so it was on his right hip which means he would have had to reach like 180 yeah. degrees to and, pull it out yeah makes no sense plus those who knew chad claimed he was never walking around the house with his gun on his hip that just wasn't who he was so several lies that are stacking up here against grant in this interrogation uh, now we're going to move on towards uh, more of the lies, and you'll see Grant double down with Cody, quote, taking care of it. When you left Cody, what did he say he was going to go do? Cody said that he will take care of it. Take care of what? Just the situation that was at hand with whatever he had been updated with from my mom. Did he tell you what he was updated? He had told me that. He had told me the reason why, like, I had been kicked out. Um but he really didn't give me that much dialogue like about that situation. You know, he was, he was miffed a little bit because, you know, he had just gotten off work and now he has to go deal with this. But what was your demeanor? Like, what did Cody see you as? Like, were you like scared? Yeah. Like I was scared because I mean, like I said, it's the first time that I had been out of the house. The detectives are clearly like giving Grant every opportunity to start making sense really. Yeah. Cause they're now, you can tell they're starting to get frustrated. They're starting to be like, okay, dude, you're not making sense here. You're giving us very vague answers. And they know Grant's just spinning his wheels at this point, just trying to, in his mind, fool them and, and get out of there. Yeah. 
But now the detectives are like, okay. No time. more buddy buddy. Yeah, bullshit. no more buddy buddy bullshit. It's time to buckle down and like let's let's press Grant a little bit. So let's take a look at how they do that. And the and the child always told the truth always is the best thing to do, correct? Correct. You agree with them? Yeah. And accidents happen and things in the heat of the moment, things happen that we wish hadn't happened. But we make I, I do it myself sometimes my kids will make me so aggravated, I'll snap at him and then walk away and say wow, I wish I would not have done that. That was not very adult of me to, to snap at myself or something. Yes, they're wrong, but I should be the adult and not snap at them. Right. Tell me what you think, because I, I could tell by I've done this for a long, long time, and I read people the way they act, the way they, they talk to me, and the way they answer questions. It's something you want to tell us. I can see it in your eyes. I can see it in your body language and just your way you act. Now's the time. Now's the time. If there's something you want to get off your chest and give us an explanation of what's bothering you, now is the exact time to do it. And I, I, I'm giving that opportunity um, right now to tell me some, something you want to get off your chest. It's there. I can see it in your face. I can see it in your eyes. I'm out about that night. You're upset about it. You're upset about it. You've been that since we've talked to you. I can see that something's been bothering you. Even though I don't know you from Adam's house, can't you see things in people that Something's really bothering this guy. It's not that, you know, I spent a bunch of money I shouldn't have on this girl. So be it. You did. It's over with money to be made back. Something's bothering you. I, I'm just worried about what is all transpiring from this. I, I think at this point right now, to be honest with you, Grant, you know what it is. Um, it's in your eyes. Your, your eyes is, is, is the beauty of your soul. And it's in your eyes. And... It sounds stupid, and people don't believe it. Like I told you out there in the car, did I not tell you? You may not like what I say, but I'm going to tell you the truth. I'm going to tell you the truth every time that I can walk in, walk in, in front of anybody in God and say, I don't care. I'm told him the truth. And we usually know answers before we ask it. I, I knew, we, me and, and Eva knew everything before before um, we asked you the question. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now's the time to, to come to Jesus, be honest, because you're holding something back. I can see it in your eyes. People don't believe that the police will help you, but we are actually here to help you with issues you may have. Um, I think something happened, and you don't want to tell us, but right now is the time to get it off your chest. And I really wish you would, because it, it will make you feel better in the end. I, I genuinely don't have anything else that I can say about the night or, you know, the, the period of time afterwards. There's only, there's only one opportunity to make that, that good impression. And to, if we've done something we shouldn't have done, you fess up it, you caught your hand in the cookie jar, you, you, you do it. I know things that you don't know. And honesty will get you all the, the, Things I could do for you beyond. I can't deal with someone who lies to me, right. but I'll deal with someone and help them till the end, no matter what. Believe it or not, that's just me, and she'll tell you. I'm very. It's, it's what it is. I'm going to be honest with you. I'm going to say if I can do something that can help you, I'm going to help you because every one of us make mistakes and do things we should have done in the heat of the moment to protect ourselves or to protect somebody else. It happens. Now's the time. Now, now is the time. So, what do you think happened? 
I think that there was something that obviously happened at the house. Tell me what happened. <laughs> I don't know what happened. I know better. Listen to me. I know better. I can help you, Grant, with honesty. I can help you with honesty. We think something else happened before you left the home that you're either afraid of or embarrassed to talk about. But we need to know exactly what happened because, like Danny said, we can place you there at certain times. And so we need to know what happened before you left that house because you didn't leave with everything being okay. I... I honestly, I don't, I don't have anything else that I can really say. I mean, I don't, I don't know. Do you even know why law enforcement got involved? Like what, what brought us to that home? Two and a half no. hours into this. Yeah. He still hasn't asked what's going on. Right? Yeah. He's just like, oh, I thought we were just hanging out. <laughs> Two and a half hours. Come on, man. God. And he's so, oh, he's so deadpan about it too. I think there's a small flub on the male detective side um not it's not a big deal really but he keeps saying things like have a come to jesus moment like get right with god type energy i don't think that's going to really help you here with someone like grant i'm not i'm not against the guy having his i think i think it's just i mean it's that part of the the country you know oh true so i think it's just it's just something that people say so to speak but yeah, maybe. I do. I do think that he's. I mean, he's like, I can help you with honesty, and it's like, I can help you walk your ass straight to jail <laughs> yeah. with honesty. Yeah, you know, seriously. Course, you know, and it's. I mean, it's something that you, they do a lot. You know, prom kind of make these false promises and empty offers. That I mean, ultimately, they don't have any power in what happens to Grant at all. I mean, no. it's up to the, the judge and the jury. Yep, and. In his eyes, I mean, he's a detective on the case. Of course, he wants to solve, you know, solve the case and have the person, person com- who committed the crimes convicted, which obviously we all do in this case. But really, he's looking out for, for him and his partner. Ultimately, yeah. like they, if they can get that confession, that's looks good can, on them. Yeah, the DA is going to be happy about that. Can move forward with this much and quicker. prosecute this guy. Yeah, but Grant has clearly thought through all of this. I think quite a bit and he knows that i just got i got to keep my mouth shut play the dumb you know i'm dumb i have no idea what's going on he's playing that card very well i mean you're a smart guy you know something's happened at your home you have law enforcement here you haven't heard or gotten any well i mean i'm just scared as to what the answer is well, you need to help yourself by filling in the blanks of what happened that night so we can give you the answer. Did anything more happen with you and your father besides him grabbing you up from the couch and yelling at you and kicking you out? Anything at all? Did he pull, Did he harm you, hit you? No. Draw any weapons on you? No. He didn't do anything like that. I mean, he was just yelling. This, this is the time to come to Jesus, to be honest. Because you know more. I'm looking in your eyes. Your eyes tell me exactly that you you are hurting inside. I get it. Brother, I get it. You're hurting. And this is the You're only scared. time we can help you. Because once we get to a certain point, there's nothing I can do. It's, it's in the hands of who has it. Nothing I can do. 
honesty is always the best policy. You get, you ca- get caught stealing a car, you admit to it, I did it, how can I get help? What can be done to help me? And let me tell you the rest of my story. You're holding and if back. something happened that you were defending yourself, then we need to know that. If you were protecting yourself because you were in fear, then that makes sense. But we need to know exactly what happened for you to protect yourself. You can't minimize this. Once, a, a wise man told me one time, once a, a, a bomb goes off, you can't defuse it. You can't. That's already out there. What quote is that? Did a wise man tell myself to minimize the, the, the injuries I have. And we're giving you that opportunity. I want to give you the opportunity. I don't think you're a bad guy at all. I really don't. I think yeah, it's right, a very dude. stressful and emotional Come time on. right now with being out of work and just dealing with all the problems with, with the arrest. You're probably not used to depending on somebody to pay all your bills. You know, you have your mom and dad or have to, have to give you money. Cody's having to give you money. And there's a significant debt to people. $200,000. I don't know what to do. I mean, mortgage, yeah, I get it. Or something like that. Or, or a medical bill for my child. Yeah, I get it. But talking to some girl, you know, in Bulgaria, you know, you, you hit it right on the head. You were embarrassed about it. And you have nothing to be embarrassed about. Here, here it is, man. I want to help you. She want to help you. You gotta, you gotta, you gotta come to me with the truth now, because I, I already know the truth. There's a we, reason you didn't go back to the house. There's a reason why you haven't tried to reach out. I mean, it's why you haven't heard from anybody. Yeah, I mean, I must, I just, I don't, I, it's like it's words that like I can't think of to even say. Like I, I just, I don't know how to even say the words. But what would give me a roundabout what you're thinking? That somebody in my family's dead. And how does that make you feel if you think that you're thinking that? I have absolutely no emotion, <laughs> ability to to comprehend the words. Because, like I said, I've been there for my whole entire life, and even though there has been struggles and everything like that, there has never been any issues. There's never been the struggles or the issues like happened Thursday. Never for you. I, I believe you 100%. I believe it's never been like that. But something happened Thursday unlike anything you've ever experienced in 29 years of your life. Never. And maybe you felt that was rock bottom for you. You were getting kicked out of the house. Your father gave you an ultimatum. I mean, that's, you know, you're already dealing with the, the debt. And, you know, now you have to stop talking to this girl. And now you're being kicked out of the home. I mean, that's, I, I can understand how you would feel. I mean, that you'd want to lash out or, you know, if something happened, you'd want to defend yourself. Sure. Absolutely. But we need to know what happened. I mean, I know I can tell that you guys are like leading me into a certain way of what. The only thing we're leading you to is wanting to get the truth from you. Not trying to make you say something that's not true, that's not accurate. The truth, the end. That's it. That's all we want is the absolute truth. I genuinely don't have anything else that I can say about what transpired the, uh, during the nighttime. When, when you left your house, everybody was fine. Yeah. And when you left Cody, everything was fine. Well, we got called to the house because Cody didn't show up to work. So law enforcement goes over there and 
Can you tell us what we found? No, the only thing that I was told was that Cody would take care of it for me. That's all that I know. So if anything happened in the home to bring law enforcement there, what would you think happened? That there was a shooting. Between whom? I don't know. That's a good guess. <laughs> God. Between Cody and, and my dad. They just had a good old-fashioned quick draw like yes also what you haven't talked with your family for the past two days you haven't checked in yeah so you're telling me you did not shoot cody your father or your mother no i mean i don't know like what more i can say well when law enforcement arrived that's what they found So you're the only outstanding child. You're the one that's been having problems with your dad. You're the one that we haven't been able to find for two days. Do you understand now why we would be questioning you about this? Yeah, but I mean, I wouldn't, like, I mean, I wouldn't be saying, like, all, like, I don't know the the way to, I, I don't, I don't, I don't know, like, what to even say. So if anything happened in the home, you believe it would be Cody and him? Yes, because I was, I mean, I don't, I, I, I don't have, you know, access to anything. We know that Cody didn't shoot your dad. We know Cody didn't shoot your mom. We know Cody didn't shoot himself. So clearly they're not getting anything out of him at this point. He's standing firm. He's claiming he doesn't know what they're talking about. He's at a loss for words. He shows the tiniest bit of emotional reaction by putting his face in his hands there briefly. Yeah. But still just nothing. He just kind of seems annoyed at this point. He's just kind of like, all right, when are we wrapping this up here? Yeah. And so after not getting anything out of him, the detectives will place photographs of his murdered family members in front of him to try and get, they usually do that. We've seen this before. You just try and get a, an emotional, a visceral response uh, to maybe try and break something loose. So we'll see if that works on him. Did you leave the house with your brother Cody looking like that? Or did you leave the house with your father looking like that? Or your mother? Is that how you left your family? No. Nobody nobody else went into that house. Who left your family like this? If you were the one that's been depressed, you were the one that owes money, you were the one that got into a confrontation with your father, who did this to your family? If you were trying to defend yourself or something else happened, we need to know now to help you. So tell us what happened, Grant. We're here to listen to you. Grant, need the truth. We're, we're here to make this right. You've got to tell the truth. It's on the tip of your tongue, my man. I get that. It's Did your tough. father go after you and you try to protect yourself? No, I didn't do any of this. Hey, I know. Video surveillance tells me everything that happened this night. I'm telling you. Of people that, that you'd be surprised 
who in your neighborhood has video. And I know that no, but there's only four people was at this house during this time. One, two, three, four. So this is another tactic of police. They'll sometimes lie and say that they have evidence that they don't have. It's also just a way to get people to confess. Like, look, we have you on camera. Um, the arm on the shoulder was a bit odd. Yeah. To be like, really awkward. We right? know. Yeah. And if anything, that would make someone withdraw even more than. It's kind of threatening. Yeah. It's like, if you don't tell me what I want to hear. Right. And I think he's getting frustrated. Yeah. He's, so that's why. That detective's been frustrated from the very beginning. <laughs> yeah. And what they're dealing with here, which probably adds to that frustration, is that they're not finding any physical evidence connecting Grant to this crime scene, which is going to be a huge problem going forward. Almost all of it is just circumstantial evidence. There is no security footage. There's no security footage in the neighborhood or the house. They couldn't find the actual murder weapon. There was no evidence of blood on Grant's clothing or in his car. And from the amount of blood at the crime scene, it was almost kind of hard to believe that the person who did commit this crime would have none on them whatsoever. And then they also, they'll also, uh, in this interrogation, they claim that they found fingerprints, but that also isn't true. Uh, I'm assuming, you know, Grant's probably wearing gloves. He's, he's not that stupid. He probably doesn't understand forensics like bullet shell casings but right he obviously understands how to clean up after himself and well i mean he is in the medical industry so mm. he has access to ppe true yeah so he could have easily gloved himself up like in a surgeon's gown yeah and gone in there and just tossed it all yeah and there's no evidence definitely so they're getting frustrated which shows you know the hand on the shoulder thing and they're really trying to get a confession knowing that they don't have a lot of physical evidence to connect him to the crime. They're just going to try and use everything they have to get a confession. So here's more of the interrogation. So your dad had told you in the past before that he would kill you? Right. For what reason? Or if I basically did anything related to this, again, causing costing him a lot of money. And Cody knew about that? Right. So when did you learn that your family was dead? I had been worried since last night when I was uh, just in the hotel, but I knew when you guys told me. I mean, like, I knew when you guys had told me. You already knew, though. But I had... You already said, you know. At any point, did you feel like you needed to reach out to Cody and see if he was okay, or...? I just didn't want to call anywhere. I just didn't want to know. We understand your father was abusive. And we understand that he was the asshole. And if he threatened you, that he was going to kill you when you came back, you were probably in fear, were you not? So did your brother come home to try and defend you? And then the gunfight happened? And you got so scared that you left? No, I mean, I, I, I had left when I had said that I had left. I, I just don't know where else to go to get you to, to, to come around because it does not make any logistical sense of what you're telling us. It doesn't. If these two got in the shooting, we would know. 
we would know they shot each other. We'd know that. But why mom? Things just got so bad and out of hand, like never it's been before in your life, never been here before in your life, or in your family's life. He pissed. His future, his retirement, his plans are being upset by you because of the financial cost. I would almost bet this is just a horrible, bad incident that on any other day wouldn't happen. But you and me both know, as does she, what happened that night. I just, I, I don't, I don't have the answer for anything else. He's still texting about to throw a chair at the wall. <laughs> He's <laughs> really pissed. Walk out and I'm done. And I'm done for good. When I'm done, I'm done, done. Yeah. The frustration's escalating. I mean, I also, maybe it's a little bit of a tactic to be aggressive, frustrated. I don't know. I don't think it's a good tactic, but maybe that's what he's trying to go for on top of kind of playing the good cop cop type thing. Yeah. But I honestly think he's just genuinely frustrated. I would be, yeah. Just like wasting my time. I know you did this. And they can't catch him in a lie either because he's just stonewalling. So after four hours of questioning, a lot of frustration, they offer him some food, he declines, and they tell him he's not being detained, he's not arrested. So in one last-ditch effort to try and get him to confess, they bring in his older brother, Jason, to try and speak to him. So here's Jason coming in to meet with Grant. All right, so uh, I, I take it you know what happened. I'm going to ask you plain out. You, you are not part of it anyway. No. How? When was the last time you saw everybody? Uh, I left the house between like uh, midnight and like twelve thirty. You'll cut that stuff, right? I want to believe you, Grant, but you're the last person that I could put in that house. And I know what happened over the last six months. Who else can I blame? Who, how are we going to find out who did this? I don't know. I don't have the answer. The shit you did, you could have been in jail. You would have been in jail for years. I know. And they covered it up for you. I'm scared for you and I'm scared for myself. And I don't feel comfortable with you being around me alone. I'm sorry. I could take you physically, but if you have a knife or know where a gun is, I'm fucked. I need you to be honest with me, man. I need to have closure. I was told that you would not have access to be able to contact this woman. Why do you feel the intent to still contact her? I don't just the whole emotional thing. I mean, I I told you. So are you saying that you love the woman? I... Feel like I did, you know. Okay, you feel like you did, so you don't feel that way now. Well, I mean, now it's pretty much, you know. I mean, it's not what it used to be. Is all I can say. Because she's aware of what has happened in the last several months. Right. It hurt, right? Well, yeah. Yeah, because you can't like, carry that persona that you carried before. I do love you, though. Just remember that. 
just like mom, Cody, and dad loved you. Nobody loved you any more or any less. It's really heartbreaking to watch. Yeah. Poor Jason. Just, I mean, I mean, just the courage to even go and do this I, when he knows. I couldn't. I, I couldn't either. That. So, I mean, good on Jason, but unfortunately it doesn't work. That last emotional appeal from his brother, he's just, he won't give it up. So they do not get Grant to confess. Uh, and then they come in and ask, are you suicidal? Grant goes, no. And the police let him go. And that's that's it. Well, they have to at this point. Yeah, he's not under arrest. After a further investigation, they really struggled to find physical evidence that connected Grant to the murders. But digital forensic investigator Geraldine Blay was able to determine the timeline of events in the home. This would later be crucial evidence during the trial. So here's how the forensics tracked Grant's activity in the home on the night of the murders. This is my favorite part of the case, by the way. This, this is really is interesting. Awesome. Yeah. So Grant Amato spent January 24th at home with his mother, Margaret. The last moment of activity on Margaret's computer was 4.44 p.m. Grant must have shot Margaret around 4.45 p.m. as she sat at her desk drinking wine. At 5.25 p.m., the health app on Chad Amato's iPhone recorded him taking 67 steps, most likely from his car into the house. For 27 minutes, there was no activity whatsoever on his phone. Grant most likely killed his father as soon as he entered the home, and forensics revealed that the first shot didn't kill him. The trail of blood showed that Chad dragged himself across the floor, probably toward his dropped phone, to call for help. Grant then shot him in the head a second time, killing him. At 5.52 p.m., Grant unlocked Chad's iPhone and changed the settings on the phone so it would stay unlocked. Then Grant stayed in the house for several hours and used his father's phone to get Cody to come home early from work. He left Orlando Regional Medical Center around 9.15. When Cody's girlfriend asked why he had to leave work, he said it was stupid family nonsense. Plus, Cody had previously mentioned to her that he was worried that his brother Grant would quote-unquote kill everybody. On the day of the murders, Grant most likely waited for Cody to come home and killed him when he entered through the door to the garage. He was still wearing his work scrubs and carrying his work backpack. Forensic evidence revealed that Grant had moved Chad and Cody's body slightly. Forensic evidence revealed that Chad's body had been turned over so the gun holster could be attached to his hip. Plus, Chad had tried to crawl on his belly across the floor after the first shot, but there was no trace of blood on the holster. Grant then stayed in the house for several hours before leaving. A neighbor named Jennifer Sawyer heard gunshots between 8.30 p.m. and 9.30 p.m. She didn't know exactly how many were fired, but it was less than five. These might have been the rounds fired from Cody's gun, possibly outside, so Grant could collect the casings and leave them inside. At 11.32, Grant inserted a thumb drive into his home computer. It had over 600 pictures and videos of Sylvie on it. This was later found in a pair of Grant's jeans in the car. At 11.39, the digital forensics investigator believed that Grant had tried to wipe Cody's phone. At 12.08, Grant accessed Chad's USAA banking app on his phone. It's believed he wiped the blood off his deceased father's right fingertip in order to use it to get past the biometric lock on the phone. The last digital trace happened at 2.54 a.m. at a Publix parking lot where Grant logged into the Publix Wi-Fi. And at 3.06 a.m., he used his brother's debit card to pay $600 to talk to Sylvie again on the webcam account. There, after, this after is so all cold. That, yeah. 
just to talk to Sylvie again. It's so fucked. Taking his deceased father's finger, wiping blood off of it to get into his phone. There's nothing more heartless than that. It's fucked. On January 28th, Grant was arrested at his hotel where he was staying and charged with three counts of premeditated first-degree murder. He was held on a $750,000 bail. Since he was barred from using his parents' funds from the estate, he couldn't make bail, and he tried to raise the money for his bail online, but failed. He told a reporter, quote, I just want to feel the sun again, feel the breeze on my skin, feel the simple pleasures every innocent man feels. He later pled not guilty to all charges. His trial began on July 23, 2019, and his defense team knew that if Grant was convicted, he could face the death penalty in Florida. The prosecution's opening statement made by Stuart Stone mentioned the evidence that they found against Grant, and he went into detail about Grant's motive. When his family found out Grant had been stealing the money, they contacted Sylvie and told her he wasn't a streamer and he wasn't rich like he said he was. And in Grant's eyes, this was the end of the world. After his secret was out, Grant had written an eight-page letter to a small circle of people who were also obsessed with Sylvie. It's believed he wrote this letter sometime between leaving rehab and the murders. Which do you want to explain a little bit what that letter contained? Yeah, this letter was essentially an apology to this small group of men who were kind of also obsessed with Sylvie. At least that's what it sounds like it was. And he's basically apologizing. He's like, I realize that I've lied to you and, and, and especially Sylvie and I'm not who I said I was. And I hope Sylvie can forgive me and you guys can forgive me because I want to be accepted again. It was basically, it's this long drawn out ploy to get back in, in good spirits with Sylvie because he's like, it's basically like a guy that had just went through a breakup and he's trying to get his girlfriend back. And it's just sad in this case because that's not what's happening here. So it's this desperate attempt, not only to get back in good graces with these other guys who are connected to Sylvie, but also, also Sylvie herself. And, uh, I mean, obviously it doesn't work, but it does show the emotional impact that that had on Grant and was probably the straw that broke the camel's back was not just saying, Hey, you can't talk to Sylvie anymore, but it was actually, you know, his dad then contacting Sylvie and be like, he's a fraud. Stop contacting him. He's not who you think he is, etc." So There's that's probably anger there towards his father clearly, for sure yeah. for doing that. Cause his whole world as sad as is was Sylvie. Yeah. He had lost everything. That's you know? he had no his job, real life no was already fucked, but yeah. now the one thing that brought him that joy and pleasure in his day is gone. Yep. And he just could not handle it. During the trial, the prosecution really leaned into this motto, if not grant, then who, which it makes a lot of personally, sense. Personally, yeah, I'm I'm all in favor for that because really it makes no sense. There's no robbery happening here. Uh Cody has no motive to do this unless if you're gonna go with the theory that he was defending his brother. So really, yeah, if not Grant, then who? They've already ruled out Jason. He had a solid alibi. He, he they found nothing in uh his car, his house, on his person when they searched him. But they knew that a lot of the evidence against Grant was all circumstantial. Obviously, his motive was clear. They also revealed evidence that the pistol and spent shell casings near the bodies had been planted. 
The bullets that killed the family members were not fired from those shells, and the pistol planted next to the body had not been used to kill the Amatos. Gunshot residue was later found on a pair of gloves in Grant's hotel room. There were these black gloves that Grant could be seen wearing earlier in family photographs with his brother, and there was his DNA evidence inside the gloves. We, we did know that Grant was an avid shooter at some point in his life, but then I think the year before he sold all his firearms, one probably because he was running out of money, so that was a way to get some money back. So he was an avid shooter. It's, it wasn't clear evidence that he had used these gloves in the murders, but it did tie Grant to shooting. Unfortunately, investigators did not find any of Grant's DNA on any of the victim's bodies, and then vice versa. They didn't find any DNA from his family on his clothes or belongings in the hotel or things in his car. But the prosecution reminded the jury that he had nearly 36 hours to destroy his clothes, dump the murder weapon, and take a shower between the murders and when police had found him in the hotel. So he had he had time to destroy evidence easily. And like we said before, Geraldine Blay, the digital forensic investigator, had one of the most important testimonies, which is the line by line we just went through of all that all that data that they pulled from all the technology that they had in the house. So that testimony was crucial in the prosecution. She had essentially built a detailed timeline of everything that happened and why all the clues pointed towards Grant. A medical examiner also revealed that Cody had not been shot more than three feet away, had no gun residue on his hands and no stippling on his face, which is when the skin gets burned by gunpowder at close range. So there was no way that one, Cody wasn't the shooter. He had no gun residue on him. And two, there was no way he could have shot himself. So the murder-suicide story was complete fabrication. Later in the trial, when they began showing pictures of the deceased family members in court, this is the first time Grant showed any emotion and he began to cry. And here's a clip of that moment. This is a photograph standing in the doorway uh, to the garage from the gym, looking downward at the body of Cody Amato. Here is that gray backpack. And to your knowledge, did law enforcement previously open this door uh, leading into the garage? Yes, they did. Now showing you state 73. Here is a close-up image of that firearm. Do you think those are crocodile tears? Do you think they're genuine? Either this is the first time he's felt genuine remorse in this whole case, or those are some of the biggest crocodile tears I've ever seen. Yeah. The, the dramatic wipe of his face with the tissue, too, for like one little tear coming out. I'm like, to me, he's just putting on a show you for the jury. So? I, I mean... Part of me could think that, dude, Cody was the only person really who was like, obviously True, his dad was pissed as hell at him. I mean, Margaret seemed like she loved her son as well, but like Cody had his back through everything. So I don't know, maybe he did feel some genuine emotion there. I might believe that until they show a picture of Sylvie. Yeah. And this dude is just transfixed on this woman he is yep. obsessed with this woman yeah i think that, the, the prosecution even calls it tunnel vision because 
yeah, the only times he ever shows emotion during this trial is this, what we just watched. And yeah, when they bring up Sylvie, he's just locked on. He's like, yeah, that's why I did this. Yeah. It's, it's insane. Uh, we'll have Danny post a picture of him in there. The defense knew that they were up against overwhelming circumstantial evidence, but they used that in their favor. Their goal is to show that the prosecution had very little physical evidence that tied Grant to the crime scene. And the murder weapon, again, had never been found. Let's hear a little bit of the defense's opening statements because it's, it's very interesting. And I know we're putting a ton of clips in this episode, but the clips, are I feel like, are just necessary to really understand this case all the way through. And it's just honestly bizarre to watch. The evidence will show that there is a complete lack of physical evidence linking Mr. Amato to these deaths. The evidence will show that his family member's DNA is not on any items that were recovered from Mr. Amato. That includes his clothing. The state tested Grant's scrubs and shoes to see if his family member's DNA was on them and none of his family member's DNA was found on his scrubs or shoes. There is no evidence whatsoever of a cleaned up crime scene. No blood, or I'm sorry, no bloody footprints, no bleaching, no evidence of cleanup whatsoever. The evidence will show that Mr. Amato's DNA is not found on items belonging to his family members. The evidence will show that the state tested items found on Chad for Grant's DNA and found none. These items included Chad's belt that he was wearing, that was referenced earlier, the holster that was found on Chad, that was referenced earlier, and Chad's card holder. Once again, no DNA on any of those items, none of Grant's, and they were tested for such. Now, the evidence will also show that the shell casings from the fired bullets that were found at the house were also tested for Grant's DNA. The evidence will show once again that Grant cannot be linked to these shell casings because the DNA was not found on them and DNA tests were performed on these shell casings. Now, the state earlier had mentioned something about gunshot residue, and this is going to come up in the case. The evidence will show that gunshot residue testing was performed on the gloves that were found on the, in the hotel room of Mr. Amato. Now, what's important about this testing, the evidence will show a low particle count. Now, the evidence will show what a low particle count means and why that's significant. The reason why that's significant, and the evidence will show this, is because it's more likely to obtain a low particle count from transfer than from holding an actual firearm. The evidence will show exactly what transfer means, but basically it means sitting on a, on a surface or coming from a surface that had gunshot residue on it. And the low particle count, the evidence will show that that is how this occurred based on transfer gunshot residue and not the holding of an actual firearm that was fired. Now, the evidence will show that Margaret Amato, Chad Amato, and Cody Amato were all killed with a firearm, as the state had described earlier. The evidence will show that Grant Amato previously owned firearms, and that is something that we are in agreement about. However, the evidence will show that Mr. Amato sold all of these firearms in August and September of 2018. The evidence will show records of Mr. Amato selling seven of his guns to the Florida Gun Exchange on August 21st of 2018. The evidence will show that Mr. Amato is selling two of his guns to the Florida Gun Exchange on August 24th of 2018. 
The evidence will show, finally, that Mr. Amato sold his final two firearms, a 9mm pistol and his shotgun to Florida Gun and Pawn on September 23rd of 2018, and this evidence will be presented by third party, meaning we'll have a witness to show this. The evidence will show that Mr. Amato sold these firearms in order to continue being able to afford to remain in contact with Sylvie. The evidence will show that he sold all of his firearms in order to maintain this contact and being able to afford to do so. The evidence will show at this time that Grant Amato owned no more guns and therefore could not have killed his parents because he had no guns with which to do so. In addition, the evidence will show that there were still guns in the home, but one was Cody's 9mm pistol and the others were locked up in Chad's bedroom. The evidence will show that Cody's 9mm pistol was his carry pistol that he took with him when he left the home. Cody would take this pistol to work and therefore Mr. Amato had no access to this pistol at the time Cody, Margaret, and Chad had died. Also, the evidence will show that any additional firearms that were in the house were locked up in Chad's bedroom, safe, and closet. The closet was actually locked at the time the police entered the Amato home on January 25th of 2019. The evidence will show that not only did Mr. Amato sell all of his guns, but the, that he had no access to the guns that were left over in the home. The evidence will show that this is one of the main reasons Mr. Amato could not have shot his parents because he had no gun with which to do so. In addition, the evidence will show that Mr. Amato is no professional shooter and has no training whatsoever in using a pistol. This is important because he would be incapable of committing these murders all at this time with this frequency in this short amount of time without such training. They also emphasized that Grant was close with his brother and mother, and they claimed he had no motive to kill them. But then who killed them? In response to the murder weapon never being discovered, a ballistics expert had ruled out that Cody's MMP 9mm that was at the scene was not the murder weapon, and the other firearms found in the home were also ruled out. The bullets that had killed the Amatos had polygonal rifling marks on them, and a friend of the Amato family, Blake Turpin, testified that he had noticed his 9mm Jericho handgun had gone missing sometime after Grant was alone in the bedroom where he had stored it in the closet. His handgun had gone missing only a couple of weeks before the shooting, and this firearm would have also left polygonal rifling marks on the bullets when fired. Still, the firearm that was used in the murders has never been found. The defense also criticized the detectives for lying about evidence they didn't have during the interrogation. By day four of the trial, the prosecution brought in Jason Amato to testify. He explained how his father shot with his right hand in reference to his holster being put on his hip for a left-handed shooter. And he also explained this ultimatum contract Chad wrote after they allowed Grant to come back home after some time in the rehab clinic. They also asked him how the family meeting went before they decided to send Grant to rehab. Here's what he had to say about the meeting. Do it at like three o'clock in the morning. It was, it was pretty much uh, led by Cody. Um, we communicated that we were going to meet outside my aunt's house around uh, three o'clock in the morning, and uh, my my dad, he's has some idiosyncrasies and didn't doesn't like to drive his car far distances, so he rented a car. He, I drove myself, he had brought my mom and Cody. We all met at my aunt's house. Cody called my aunt, Grant came out. We, really Cody was talking to Grant about that he needed help with his 
obsession or his relationship with that woman. And um, initially the conversation didn't go well. My brother and Cody and my dad started getting on Grant. I stepped in and, and told him he just needed to get help and focus on himself. Um, my my brother and brother Cody and my dad calmed down. Cody or Grant got in the car. The three drove him to Fort Lauderdale, where he checked himself in that morning when they got there. And that was the last time that I saw Cody, Cody and my dad. Oh, it wasn't yelling. Um, really, I think what set it off was Cody. Uh, was upset that Grant, I guess, wasn't being uh, forthcoming. I guess he gave him a look. That's what Cody kept saying. Don't give me that look, or why are you giving me that look? And they, and then my dad did put his hand on Grant's shoulder, not like punch him or hit him. He put his hand on his shoulder, and that's when I stepped in and told them to leave him alone, and I told Grant just to focus on himself. I think I gave him a hug. He really didn't say anything. Uh, I stepped back out since I wasn't really the one involved with the facility and taking him there. And uh, I, I would say shortly after that, a couple minutes, he, he just walked to the car himself. Later, the jury was allowed to submit questions to Judge Jessica J. Rex Seidler to ask some of the detectives some questions on the stand. Some wondered if Jason or anyone else had ever been considered a serious suspect during the initial investigation because prosecution's obviously quick to say that Grant has tunnel vision, but is it possible that the police got tunnel vision in this investigation? I mean, they did question Jason, but really it was, that's, it's like who, who else, you know, if not Grant, then who, right? From their experience, they'd probably would have argued there would have been some other trace of evidence to suggest somebody else had been involved in this. Right. The only thing that comes to my head is perhaps one of either Grant or Jason had hired a professional a hitman, hit you know, yeah. some an assassin or something like that, where yeah. there would be no evidence to find because True. they're just professionals. But I mean, we know that that's happens far and few between. But yeah, and if it was a hitman, well, there'd still be. It's probably Grant right. hiring the True. hitman, right? And, you know, they had already gone through bank accounts, things like that. They would have mm -hmm. seen that there, there had been some way that money had been transferred to this individual. Right. Probably. They asked if Jason's financial accounts had been looked at the same way Grant's were. Detective Daniel Anderson explained that they had no reason to suspect Jason was a murderer after they interviewed and searched him. They did do an extensive search of his home and everything like that to make yeah. sure. Plus, Jason did have a strong alibi with his family on the night of the murders. But the defense team focused on how quick the detectives were to single out Grant and how they potentially ignored other suspects. They also wanted to raise enough reasonable doubt. They also tried to show that the digital timeline didn't necessarily place Grant at the scene, which is... This is true. Technically true. Yeah. But it's like, again, who else if not Grant? The defense asked if the forensic analyst was, quote-unquote, mind-reading. Just because devices were accessed in the home didn't necessarily mean that Grant was the one accessing them. But the prosecution reminded the jury that the thumb drive that was put in Grant's computer on the night of the murders was later found in his pants pocket in his car. Toward the end of the trial, Grant wanted to take the stand, but his lawyers talked him out of it. They were worried he would slip up, and they argued the jury had already seen him tell a story in the interrogation video. 
By day eight of the trial, Grant confirmed to the judge that he did not want to testify. In their closing statements, the prosecution focused on Grant's extreme obsession with Sylvie and how the relationship had permanently damaged the relationship with his family to the point where he murdered them. And it was clear his murders were cold and calculated. As for the defense, they didn't focus on Sylvie at all during their closing statements. Instead, they focused on how the prosecution had very little physical evidence that connected Grant to the crime. And they claimed the prosecution didn't meet the burden of proof. By the end of the trial on July 31st, 2019, the jury reached their verdict. In the Circuit Court of the 18th Judicial Circuit in a Fort Seminole County, Florida, State of Florida versus Grant Amato, case number 1933CFA, verdict count one, Margaret Amato. We, the jury, find the defendant guilty of first degree premeditated murder. Verdict count two, Chad Amato. We, the jury, find the defendant guilty of first-degree premeditated murder. Verdict, count three, Cody Amato. We, the jury, find the defendant guilty of first-degree premeditated murder. So next came the penalty phase, which began on August 12th. They needed a unanimous vote from all jury members to sentence Grant to death. New defense lawyers took over the case, and they needed something significant to convince the jury to not vote for the death penalty since the other extended Amato family members were not involved in the trial at all, and they even refused to speak with defense attorneys, Jason Amato was basically the only one. It ended up that the prosecution called him to testify with an impact statement before the jury voted on the death penalty. Here's a clip of his statement. It's just so hard to go through the grieving process when there are multiple losses and uncertainty in the future. Through all this, though, I am a proud Amato, and I will rise up stronger and smarter than before. It's just going to take some time and hard work. My main focus is my girls and making sure they are healthy, physically and mentally, and that no one can hurt them. I cannot imagine losing any of them. I've already lost my mother, father, and brothers in a blink of an eye. Though they are gone, I want everyone to know Chad, Margaret, and Cody for amazing people that will live forever. The defense then called Jason back to the stand and asked him one last question. And here's that. Last question, Mr. Romano. Despite everything that's happened and all the loss that you've suffered and everything, do you love your brother, Grand Romano? Yes. Okay. I have no other questions. I think it's a fair question. I know that they're trying to get the emotional appeal for the jury to be like, look, his brother still loves him after all this, so maybe consider that. I know it's a tactic by the lawyers. Uh, I think it's a fair question, and I, th- I think it's a powerful question, and I think it's a powerful answer, too. Uh, how do I feel about it, like, just on an emotional level? I think that's... Jason has... Uh, a very strong-willed individual and yeah. uh, has probably that's a part of his healing process is to not let more hatred flow so i respect and him. lose the rest of his family yeah permanently this is, this is all he has left is now his his brother grant dr richard carpenter a psychiatrist then testified saying that grant amato would be well suited to a life in prison and presented a very low probability for any major form of acting out or management problems while incarcerated. 
The prosecution's final statements emphasized the gravity of Grant's crimes and told jurors that this was an appropriate case for the death penalty. The defense told the jury that Grant was just an ordinary guy who fell prey to an addiction. And they replayed the moment in the interrogation when Jason said that he and the rest of the Amato family loved him. After three hours of deliberating, the jury cast their votes. Here is the verdict. Having unanimously found that at least one aggravating factor has been established beyond a reasonable doubt, section A, that the aggravating factor or factors is or are sufficient to warrant a sentence of death, section B, and the aggravating factor or factors outweigh the mitigating circumstances, section D, we the jury unanimously find that Grant Amato should be sentenced to death. No. Since the death penalty was off the table, the only other possible sentence for his crimes was life in state prison without possibility of parole. Grant Amato is currently incarcerated at Madison Correctional Institution in Madison County, Florida. He filed for an appeal on May 4th, 2021. In the years since his conviction, many have wondered how and why Grant justified these murders in his mind. His deep and disturbing obsession with Sylvie ended the Amato family as they knew it, except for his brother, Jason, because of course, Jason wasn't living there, but he might've been killed as well had he been living with the rest of the Amato family. But he now has to deal with the fact that his whole family was murdered by his brother, and now his only remaining brother is spending the rest of his life in prison. Miracle Lane Stables, where Margaret cared for the horses before a murder, made a plaque in her honor, and it reads, To our barn sister Margaret and her lady, thank you for the love and friendship. We will ride with you in our hearts forever. I mean, this is just a horrible, horrible case. Yeah. Do you think that Grant really believes he's innocent or do you think he's just doing what's best for him and he knows if he just plays this whole act of I'm innocent, I didn't do this or does he believe that he really didn't do this? No, I think he knows full well what he did. Uh I think he's very affluent, very spoiled, rotten. I think he thought he could just get away with anything at the end of the day and uh I think this was finally one of the hardest pills to swallow is seeing the uh, consequence of his actions. Which he has no emotion to. Even his defense lawyer was like, this was honestly bizarre because we literally saved his life. Like he was going to get the death penalty and they played, you know, they made their case well enough that he didn't. And he was surprised that he got no thank you, no like hug to his you know, defense attorney being like, you just saved my life, man. Thank you. Yeah. None of that. He's just like, duh, yeah. the whole time. He, and he replaced his defense team before right. the phase two. Right. And so it's like, hey, he just thinks he can just get away with it, which unfortunately he kind of did. And if that, I mean, if that's how you want to look at it, he's still in, in prison for life, but he still gets to live. Yeah. And he's, you know, he's, I mean, I don't know what his life's like in his, in this institution, but. I'm sure he's probably doing just fine. I mean, it seems like he's just kind of like figures out how to adapt. And I mean, I wonder if he's got online access. I would hope he never has online access for that. That'd be a good way to punish him. Never, never, never get on the internet again. Yeah. But man, what a wild story. But I, uh, shout out to the forensic investigators on this one. That, that was the coolest thing I think I've seen 
piecing together all his his basic footprint through the house and using all the devices and and basically saying okay who else who else would be in here toggling his father's bank account connecting it to his who else would be accessing the public's wi-fi right to then use his brother's debit account to talk to sylvie again like i i thought that was because without the murder weapon without dna evidence they still pulled it together uh so mad respect for those friends well to get a to get a conviction like this off purely circumstantial evidence because as much as it seems like to us that that digital evidence is incriminating it's still circumstantial because again it's still who knows if we don't know for sure if it was grant or not operating those devices it could have been somebody else doing this for grant it could have been i mean who knows yeah but to be able to get the conviction that they did on this case and put him away for life without any physical evidence or link back to this bloody crime scene is is honestly impressive yeah at the the work that they did and kudos to the jury for seeing you know seeing what really happened here definitely because i do think without that circumstantial evidence especially the digital evidence there could have been a possibility he may have been acquitted of this crime because there's just nothing physical linking him although i think in his mind during that interrogation he was he was getting away with it he was doing all the right things in his mind when it comes to like trying to seem innocent but i think he's just lacking that like human emotion he's lacking the hum the all the things that make you human he's like completely doesn't have it yeah or just the natural curiosity of like we talked about why am i here yeah why am i being questioned for hours on end and yet i'm not asking any questions for why yeah i think that's that's, That's a huge, huge slip up. Yeah. That luckily there was enough circumstantial evidence from start to finish that it just all slowly slid his direction. And again, to to from the prosecution standpoint, I think the motto, if not Grant, then who? Then who was the right thing to hammer home over and over and over again because as a juror I would be like who else? There is nobody else. There is no other. The motive is so clear mm-hmm. to me. Like, there's not a doubt in my mind. Something who, like, with the gravity of this crime, too, is so intense. And so that motive has to kind of meet that gravity of the crime. And I think it clearly does here. And I think just this, I mean, after, if I sat through this whole trial and listened to all these things, in the back of my head too, I'd be like, man, I don't know if necessarily there's enough physical proof to link him here, but if this guy is guilty and he gets back out, I mean, he's a dangerous individual just by the way that he carries himself and the way that he acts. And there's clearly more below the surface here with Grant than meets the eye. Yeah. And it's these types of individuals that are, are the scariest agreed you know to me at least because i mean you just have no idea what's going on below the surface and just like how selfish this this guy is super selfish super spoiled and he did have he had a support system behind him his whole family was trying to back him up and right like we'll get you in rehab no one's gonna charge you like we're gonna get through this together as a family and yeah he, he just he sees i have there are no consequences in my life ever 
Why should there be now? And that's all ending, so I have no need for my parents or family anymore. So, you know, I'm better off without them even living. Yeah. And he decided to to take all their lives that day. It's, yeah, it's extremely sad. And, you know, we want to leave this episode with you listening some of the victim impact statements that were made because I think they're very powerful and it speaks to just what Grant took from them. So you'll hear from Sloan Young and Jason again. But we're going to go in and leave you with those today. We'll see you guys next week. Uh, my name is Sloan Young. We know that you knew uh, Cody Amato during his lifetime, but let me kind of get a little bit deeper uh, into that. The last couple of months of his life, we quietly started to date because we had feelings for one another. Cody, I mean, Cody was the best kind of person. He cared so much about his job and his patients and not just them, but his coworkers and his friends and his family. Like he had so much love in him for everybody. He treated everybody the exact same with respect. He treated all his patients with the utmost care. Um, he was the gold standard of CRNAs. People still say, you know, they when they graduate, let, the students say when they graduate school, they want to be like Cody because he set that bar so high, not only as a nurse anesthetist, but as a human being. Um, he was an amazing friend to all of us. He was the go-to guy if you had a medical question or if you just wanted to vent about something that had happened in the OR um, or if you just wanted to joke and laugh. He was He was that guy. It's difficult to accept that he was only 31 and he will never be any older. It's difficult for our coworkers to know that like his light is no longer in the OR and in the operating room, excuse me. And uh, we joke that the morale in the operating room died with him because it's just not the same. Um, he's very missed by all of his friends. He was an incredibly special person. Not just to me, but to all of our friends. Excuse me. <clears throat> um. It's very difficult to even put into words how not only I feel, but all of us friends, family, coworkers feel over his loss because it's just... It's just insane that he's not here. Um, we all miss him very much. And it's very unfair that he is no longer with us. And it's very unfair that as we all grow and get older, you know, he'll never get to see our friends start families, get married, have children. Um, he won't get to see our friends go on in school. He'll never get to come to any of my graduations as I continue on school, and he'll never, I'll never get to hear him tell me how proud he was of me for continuing on with my education. Um, and even doing things like ordering Jimmy John's, which he loved Jimmy John's sandwiches. I, I miss just those little things about him. And I just miss entirely who he was as a person. And I'm very grateful and fortunate I got to have him in my life for even a little bit.
Uh, my name is Jason Amato. Where do I begin? This has not only affected my life and those close to me, but the ripple effect has been widespread. I cannot give an exact number of how many people have felt the loss in my family, but there were hundreds of people at their funeral. The minister that led the service told me in his 50 years, he has never seen a funeral with three caskets. It has been very hard to devote reflection to either my father, mother, or brother. As I start to think of one, it's hard to not think of the others. There are so many memories, stories, and special times that I will never forget. However, I will never be able to make new ones. Uh, my father was a great man that only wanted the best for his family, especially his boys. Dad's approach to anything in life could be a bit overboard, but he liked to know all the pros and cons of something as small as going to the grocery store or getting a big purchase like a car. Uh, I will never forget the life lessons my father taught me, and I will miss his advice. Uh, my mother had the best outlook on life. She always found the good, the good in a situation. There were times I didn't know what to think or do, and my mom was always there to guide me. One of the biggest things I miss is being able to talk to my mom. It's been 208 days. Sorry. I really miss her voice. But I am a better person because of my mother, and I am forever grateful for that. All right, so my brother Cody, he barely had a chance to make a name for himself. And let me tell you, he would have made a big one. Cody was a very motivated and caring man that took great pride in his profession while keeping his exemplary character outside of work as well. There are so many people that I have met and some way were touched by my brother. I will miss him dearly. These are just small tidbits of my family members and does not encompass everything they were as my father, mother, and brother. Not only have I lost my family, but there are so many people that I have felt that have felt it as well. It would take too much to go through all the different people, but it ranges from family, friends, co-workers, neighbors, and even strangers. There are so many people I did not know before January 25th, and it touches my heart that so many have been supportive through this. There are too many names to go down the list of those who have, whose lives have been affected by this tragedy, but here are a couple. My grandmother, the mother of my father, still has trouble accepting she lost her firstborn. My dad, her best friend, my mom, and her grandson, Cody. My Uncle Randy, brother of my mom, has told me so many childhood stories and that he hates he wasn't there to protect his sister. Uh, lifelong friends of Cody, Blake, Jericho, Ryan, Marcos, Ken, Mo, just to name a few, tell me how, they much, how much they respected Cody and they have lost more than a friend. They, they lost a brother. The toughest thing in all this is how it continues to affect my girls especially the girls, or especially the kids. Christina misses the stories and comfort my family gave, particularly my mom, who always made her feel like a daughter. There are certain things Christina adored about my mom. She could light up a room with her smile and go with the flow personality. 
our daughters, they, they're troubled daily. Nightmares, depression, confusion, fear, and having to live lives in the public eye. They miss the days at the barn with my mom, who taught them both how to ride. Sorry. She taught them both how to ride horses. Um, also, our oldest daughter enjoys talking healthcare with Cody and my dad. This is what gave her a passion for the medical career. Uh, there are numerous occasions I can think of, but to get to the real question or how this has affected me, plain and simple, 2019 has been a tragic year. Too many tragedies for anyone to handle, let alone the children. It's just so hard to go through the grieving process when there are multiple losses and uncertainty in the future. <laughs> through all this, though, I am a proud motto, and I will rise up stronger and smarter than before. It's just going to take some time and hard work. My main focus is my girls and making sure they are healthy, physically and mentally, and that no one can hurt them. I cannot imagine losing any of them. I've already lost my mother, father, and brothers in a blink of an eye. Though they are gone, I want everyone to know Chad, Margaret, and Cody were amazing people that will live forever.